HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and In the Drink comes to you live from Roberta's Restaurant here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We air 10 a.m. every Wednesday. You can listen to us live on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and you can always find back episodes on the Heritage Radio Network website or on iTunes. Uh, When I'm not hosting In the Drink, Feel free to find me at one of our restaurants, Delanima, Lartuzzi, Lapicho, or Anfora, and our uh, brand new outdoor summertime drinking location, Altalinia, which will open uh, in a few weeks or so. That date is uh, to be determined, but early June, and uh, it'll be a great place to sit outside and have a Negroni. Um, I am very excited to uh, for today's show. We have... Mark Maynard Parisi, the co-founder of Porchlight, which has become my favorite local new neighborhood bar now that I now that I'm working in Chelsea. Um, and uh, Mark is someone that I've known for uh, quite some time since I was a student at NYU. He actually came and spoke at one of my food studies um, culinary management classes with Professor Steve Zagor, and uh, from uh, back in the day, Mark's story, um, his personality uh, has always made a, a really big impression, and uh, I'm excited to that, that today we get to be um, kind of uh, working in the, you know in the same field, and that Mark, you're on, on the show. I'm just uh, I'm over the moon excited that you're here. So welcome to In the Drink. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm also looking forward to uh, having another bar in the neighborhood. Uh, so thank you for opening in my neighborhood. I oh. appreciate that. I guess it goes uh, both ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so we have the nice thing about Altalinia being this great outdoor drinking uh, bar. Uh, you guys, I think, are going to open a stay open a little later, so you'll probably see the whole team from Altalinia going 
going directly to portside after work yeah actually unbeknownst to you we did our entire business plan based on uh the fact that you guys were opening and we would get your guests and your employees uh after <laughs> after midnight so thank you for that ah oh, god the union square hospitality always is one step ahead of the curve you guys are just over the top um so this is the first the first real bar as far as i can understand from the union square hospitality group um how did that how did that come about has this always been something that that you guys have have wanted to do um how did the, yeah where, where's the inspiration that's a great question um i wouldn't say it's something we always wanted to do but um when we opened blue smoke back in 2002 um i had just moved from union square cafe which didn't really have much of a bar program it had a, an amazing wine program and, and still does um but back in the early 2000s bars were not uh, as esteemed i think as they are now and and um we at, at blue smoke had this really amazing bar program that just kept getting a lot of attention um not so much in the press but our guests loved it and and so i really kind of got bitten by the bug uh for having a really awesome cocktail program and uh over the years i just became more and more and i mean i, I always loved bars I, I always loved neighborhood bars and um I eventually uh, sort of sat in front of Danny's uh, door for many, many years and uh, convinced him to open a bar, which, which was pretty cool. So um, there, there is Porchlight. Wow. And so it came from this inspiration from, from Blue Smoke. And uh, if you guys don't know, Blue Smoke's one of – after I run the marathon every year, I crave barbecue. And so I go back and forth between Blue Smoke and Hill Country – uh, kind of alternate year to year, but it's just a great, uh, just great barbecue place, um, delicious things to drink, and that that's always one of the things that that I love I loved about Blue Smoke as well, or st I still love about it that you can have very high quality barbecue, but also delicious things to drink, which unfortunately doesn't happen that often. Right. Well, it's a it's a struggle. A lot of times you have to make a choice, um, and it's either the food or the drink and um you know one of the things that we also have at blue smoke is this jazz club called jazz standard which is very popular and and down downstairs in the jazz club a lot of people want to drink and they want to drink a lot um and so we really saw early on that we needed to sort of up our game with our cocktails and at the time craft beers were just kind of really becoming a big uh trend and so we just sort of started that um from an early stage and that was very special and, and we believe that the food and the drink really complement one another incredibly well and the better the drink the more you want to eat the better the food the more the more you want to drink so so the porch light inspiration kind of comes from this blue smoke and there, there is definitely this kind of southern i can't really put my finger on it how do you yeah there's some kind well, of southern theme there i guess our soundbite is that we're a new york city bar with a southern accent and uh, being a kid who grew up in uh, Southern Connecticut, um, I, I really didn't have much um, Southern leanings. Uh, but through my time at, at Blue Smoke, I really got to travel to the South a lot. I met a lot of Southerners, and I really became enamored with the South. And for me, the Southern food that we do at Blue Smoke is is a very obvious sort of connection to the South. And and over time, just learning more about um, southern drinking culture and and uh, really just having the being the beneficiary of so much great southern hospitality i thought 
you know, we thought together, you know, wouldn't this be great to sort of do a Southern inspired bar that isn't blue smoke. We didn't want it to be blue smoke because then people would expect ribs on the menu and things like that. So we purposefully departed from the name blue smoke, but still, I think a lot of the same inspiration for taking care of people, um, is, is very important and, and I think evident, and I hope that's what you feel, uh, and our guests feel when they go to Port Delight. Oh, uh, for sure. It has a, a warmth and hospitality, um, that is certainly indicative of, uh, Union Square hospitality and you're very high. I think you go into one of your restaurants and you guys have set the bar so high in other places, um, that, uh, that people expect it at this point. Do you, do you come across that <laughs> as a matter of fact, something I've always actually wanted to ask you, like, do you come across that people expect your hospitality to be so high that you're like kind of required to deliver much better than, than, uh, even a normal great restaurant? Absolutely. And I think we, we put it out there. So it's, it's our, um, obligation, you know, it, it's, it's part of who we are. And so if, if, uh, we try to be, you know, not the best, you know, sort of exhibit the best hospitality, then we're really falling short for ourselves and for our guests and for what we've promised to you all. Um, and, you know, I think it manifests itself differently at a bar maybe than it does at a fine dining restaurant, but that's okay. I mean, I don't think people expect us to be the modern or, or Gramercy Tavern, um, but they do expect us to be maybe a little different than um, a bar that they, you know, that our guests frequent somewhere else. And how would you implement these uh, hospitality principles into the bar setting where there's maybe less opportunities to, uh, mm. to have that kind of interaction? Well, I think for us, it, it, you know, the people you interact with as a, as a guest, whether it's a server or a bartender or someone who's you know, running your food or the managers, the, it starts with who we hire. And in the whole process, we want to be very open with our new employees um, to say, here's what's expected of you. And if you don't want to sign up for that, that's cool. You just can't work here. Um, and so it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling thing. Um, this, this may seem like a minor thing, but one of the first things we asked every bartender, uh, candidate was, um, are you okay to never, ever use the word mixologist while you're in the four walls of porch light? And they had to say yes. And it wasn't because we have something against mixologists. It just has it, it. It's we we want them to feel more like barkeeps and less like you know uh, scientists. I mean, we're not saving lives. You know, maybe we are, I guess, but um, we're there to take care of people, and so we want there to be no sort of pretentious you know feeling, and and that's really important. So just from the first, it was one of our first interview questions. Wow. I love that. That's so interesting. Yeah, and a lot of people said, "Oh, these guys are pretty intense," and and that's okay. You Was know? anyone like, "No, I am a mixologist." That's right. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? Um, well, I mean, I think you know, it's, it's no, no one said that, but I think there were some people who maybe didn't come back for the second interview mm -hmm. once they sort of sort of thought about it, and you know, they we we interviewed a lot of really incredibly talented people, and and we're just really we were it was an embarrassment of riches at how many amazing people are out there in New York city right now. Um, you know, we stand on the shoulders of the people who came before us and, and a lot of those people were checking us out, um, to maybe apply for a job. And, and so some of them didn't come back cause I think they said, you know, I really like what I'm doing right now. I like that. I'm the center of the universe at my bar. Um, I have to say you are yeah. the only person I've spoken to in the, in the restaurant industry who says that there are an abundance of great people. 
Um, I would, <laughs> there, they exist. Um, and you know, I think every restaurateur I know right now and bar owner right now, especially people who, um, you know, have larger places is they're short staffed. And I'm sure you probably go through this at your many places and, um, but they're out there. Um, it's just, it, it's just having the fit and having them realize that this is a great opportunity for them and, and us feeling the same way about the candidates. Yeah. It's especially tough for us in the, in the kitchen. Um, yeah. it's just hard to, we're, we're kind of always short staffed in the kitchen. Yeah. That's, I think, and, and, you know, I know people who are running, running restaurants in Oxford, Mississippi or in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama and in Atlanta. And they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole Eastern seaboard is, uh, is, is tough right now. So I think my next place is going to be in Omaha. I think, you know, I have to find a place where they're, they're not competing. Uh, you got to go west of the Mississippi. Yeah, I think, I think that's, finally... that's what I'm thinking. Wow. Yeah, I guess there's just this abundance of restaurants that are that are opening up yeah. and um, more quickly than you can. Because let's be honest, I mean, we're both front of house guys, but the, the learning curve for the front of house, it's much quicker than to mm-hmm. be really proficient at, at right. cooking. Right, right. And, and yet we want to have really high quality places and, and that's important. So we don't want to... Um, sort of compromise on on what's on the plate as much as you know what's on the glass what's in the glass at Porchlight is incredibly important but what's on the plate is really important as well yeah and I actually would love to switch gears just a little bit mm-hmm. um, I, I remember so distinctly you telling us your story of how you got to be where you are uh, working really at the uh, the lowest levels of the restaurant industry working your way up to general manager of Union Square Cafe which was like consistently like the Zagat most favorite, most popular, best restaurant year after year after year, um, and now partner with with Danny Meyer. Like, mm-hmm. I think this this is a story that people should know about. To people who want to climb the ranks in, in the restaurant industry. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those things. I had moved to New York from Vermont in uh, 1992. I I had graduated in uh, 1990, and I kind of floated around the world. Um, literally for, for about two years, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I, I graduated with a degree in landscape architecture and, and I thought I was pretty good at what I did. Um, and I came to New York and I worked for, I was working for two different firms, uh, uh, architecture firms, one of them in Chelsea. And it wasn't the most rewarding work, but I, I wanted to do it. Um, and so I said, you know, during high school and stuff, I had always, worked in restaurants. My mother was a chef, so I, I was her prep cook and busboy on many occasions. Um, and uh, I got a job at this place called Union Square Cafe, um, which was hiring host reservationists. Um, and it was a, a pretty cool thing. And, and one of the best things was if you worked the day shift, um, I, I was able to get two family meals in, which is very important for a new transplant to New York City. You know, it's a pretty expensive place. So I, I would have the like the 10 a.m. family meal and then the 5 p.m. family meal. So that, you know, that saved me like 10 bucks a day, you know, which is really important. Um, and I could spend that on, you know, alcohol somewhere else. But um, and over the course of about a year, year and a half, um, I had this sort of thing where I would do my day job um, at the architecture firm. And I kept finding myself looking forward to going to this restaurant. And um, it was really you know, I had to be honest with myself after about a year and a half, I, I actually talked to Danny, um, who at, at the time was still sort of at the maitre d' at, at uh, Union Square Cafe every day. 
Um, and I said, hey, if, if something ever opens up in the management angle, I, I'd, I'd love to sort of pursue that. And it was around the time Gramercy Tavern was uh, was being planned and, and under construction. And, and you know, I did some interviews and, and I became the lunch manager, um, which was which is pretty amazing because other than when Danny had been on vacation, he was really the, the face of the front door at Union Square Cafe. And and I don't think I realized at the time how important of a role it was um, to be the person at the front door at this club that that was and continues to be Union Square Cafe. Um, so just really... It's a restaurant, especially for lunch, where you get yeah. so many... The, the amount of regulars who come weekly or hundreds of times over the yeah, years. It's just a couple times. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, the, the publishing industry, the, uh, anything in the arts, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of Broadway production houses, uh, in lower Broadway or in that part of Broadway, um, advertising. And, and it was, it was pretty amazing just, you know, learning how to, uh, take care of people through where they sit. Um, and, and that was, uh, you know, Danny called it planting a garden. And, and, and that was kind of a really important thing that, you know, people needed to be close enough, but not too close. Um, and I just learned so much about kind of the science of restaurants and, and, you know, not just being friendly. Um, and then ultimately over years, I learned about the business of restaurants, um, which I just found fascinating. I, I could never have imagined being excited by a spreadsheet, you know, um, I was this, you know, confused artsy kid. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, geeking out over Excel spreadsheets, but that was, that was pretty cool in the end. Um, and still learning about service and running service ultimately and becoming the general manager. That was, it was pretty cool over nine years. Um, and yet at a certain point I had felt I had done all I could do. We were the number one restaurant in the Zagat Guide while I was a uh, service director and then GM. And so that was pretty cool for me. And, and I felt like, okay, I'd better, I'd better quit now before I start slipping, you know? And, um, so at the time, Danny, uh, or, uh, Michael Romano actually, who was a partner in, uh, at, at, uh, Union Square Cafe and the chef approached me and said, Hey, you know, Danny's working on this new thing. Um, it's going to be some like barbecue thing. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I, I had no idea what barbecue was. Like, I thought, wait, we're going to put sauce on everything? Um, and we began conversations, and, and ultimately I became the founding general manager of, uh, of Blue Smoke and Jazz Standard. Amazing. And uh, on that note, we're going to have to take a, a, a quick break. Uh, but uh, just a, such, a, such a great story, and, uh, and I think definitely an inspiration and I mean, it shows people that you have to, you know, definitely put your time in and be excited by what you do. But, um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back back with more of Mark Maynard Parisi uh, at the porch site after this. Mictor's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, so we're back with Mark Maynard Parisi, the uh, founding partner of the uh, uh, Porchlight, co-founder of Porchlight, um, which is my new favorite neighborhood bar in uh, in Chelsea, uh, close to our restaurant Altalinia, um, over on about 27th Street and 11th Avenue. 28th and 11th. Yeah. 28th and 11th. Um, it is uh, 1019 in the morning, so it's a great time to have a little drink. Uh, Mark, thank you for bringing these flasks of uh, of what what is it actually? So it's every day we have a uh, a different punch at uh, Porchlight. We have these five dollar flasks that um, we serve during happy hour, and um, so this is a this is a the punch that uh, our head bartender Nick Bennett made last night. Um, it's it's made. It's made with Jameson, actually, which is something that we don't use a lot of. Um, but uh, it, it's made with Jameson, and it has some brandy in there and some homemade syrups and stuff that we put together and, and bitters and things like that, which, which you know, we don't want the bitters to uh, to take the lead. So we hope you uh, – actually, maybe I'll, I'll take a little sip myself. That is delicious. And I know yeah. uh, Jory and Jack have them uh, as well. We've got we've got thumbs up from the control room. Yeah, that's very important <laughs> to keep the producers happy. That's uh, you know very important. Um, God, this is really mm, delicious. Good job, Nick. Yeah, really balanced. When you're making a uh, so this obviously it's a punch. It is bottled, and then uh, I imagine you pull it out of either a low boy or or it's on ice. Um, is this poured over ice or this? Actually, is- no. What we do is we actually. Um, we have a tap system where we do the punch on tap. So we keg the punch um, every day. And then uh, when our guests order it, we just, we just pour it right into the flask, which is, which is great. So it's quick um, and it's always fresh, uh, which, which is great. So we're, we're really excited about that. It's actually an idea I stole. Um, I went to a party um, down in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, mm. And uh, as a parting gift, they gave a flask of, of uh punch and that's when you know you're in the south and not in new york city or something where you know they're actually giving you alcohol to leave um and uh we thought that was that was pretty cool um and so at the time i I remember emailing mike shane our general manager and i said i don't know what we're going to do with this but we have to somehow work a flask of punch into porch light um and so this is kind of what what we came up with is the daily five dollar punch that's awesome. And is there some dilution factors? I mean, since you're just pulling it out of uh, the keg, uh, and you're not like stirring it, shaking it, pouring it on ice, like that, do you, do you 
incorporate dilution into the creation of the no i mean we we kind of well we what we want to make sure is we also don't want them to be incredibly highly alcoholic because it is uh you know something that you can really pop very quickly and we don't want people you know we want them there for more than 10 minutes um so no we we don't you know we have to, we did have to sort of learn how to engineer kegging something um and having it be great and not settle um we did try some things that had more solids which which didn't really work out because the top was tasted like one thing and the bottom tasted mm-hmm. like another mm-hmm. so we have experimented with different things but it's it's worked out really well so you know we have a tap wine uh, two different tap wines uh and the tap um punch every day which is great not to get too geeky but what i mean what are some of the things that you had to learn about Ta- about uh kegging cocktails it's something I, i've really never done well you know it's for example we sometimes will use uh we make our own vanilla syrup and you know we use vanilla bean and there was one time where like all of the vanilla bean when it sat for about 24 or 36 hours ended up on the bottom which is kind of weird so like some people would get it and it would be this like black sort of like like dirt looking things so we decided that that was not a good thing so we we might have to filter things a little bit more okay um that makes sense and i think one of the whole ideas of porch light is that we want to be geeks but we don't want you to have to be a geek to like it you know so i mean there are times before our guests arrive where we're pretty geeky back there you know we're we're infusing stuff that we never could have thought we'd infuse um, and some of our cocktails do have like seven or eight, seven or eight components, but we don't necessarily want you, the guest, to have to wait 20 minutes for a cocktail because um, it's about you. It's not about us. And so what we've tried to do is sort of take that geekiness and, and distill it or, or you know, um, simplify it. So it just tastes yummy to you. Distill would be appropriate. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like we're going to bottle that energy. Oh, I love it. Um, and, and I know for us, when, when we opened Anfora, it was a bit of a transition. Uh, none of us had, were, were really bar people. We were all restaurant people before. Uh, were there some challenges with adjusting to a bar mindset? Uh, or had you kind of worked out a lot of your ideas mm-hmm. over at Blue Smoke? Um, no, it, it's definitely different. And first of all, I wanted to thank you because I sat at Anfora's bar on four or five occasions during the planning of Porchlight. So... Uh, if, if you notice any similarities, you, you know, you don't be surprised. I'll, I'll uh, that, take it as a compliment. Yeah. The fact that anything in Union Square is uh, uh, inspired by anything that we could possibly do, it, we'll, we'll take that as a compliment. Because um, I think it's a, it's a place that where you do cocktails right, which is great. Um, so I think for us, instead of – we just had to think of things a little differently. You know, one of the things that I – when we, we talked to our the designers, the architects who did it, um, a firm called Parts and Labor Design – one of the first comments uh, we had or discussions we had was the table size. And because that really dictates how people use the space. And so we wanted to make sure that people felt well taken care of, but they weren't expecting a Gramercy Tavern or Union Square Cafe experience. And by using a smaller table, that is one of those sort of things that guests respond to. It also means that, you know, we're not going to be, you know, doing appetizer main course dessert and and things like that so as we approach the planning of the bar we just thought about a lot about how will guests want to use us and um it's turned out really well you know our you know we use 
the term small plates, it's they're actually smaller plates. It's it's not you know it, it, we're actually using plates that are smaller than we use at Blue Smoke, um, and um, you know just the way we interact with guests. You know, we might have a table of three, a round table of three, where it, at Blue Smoke, if three other people arrived, we'd say, oh, no, you know, where are we going to put them all? Because they all have to use a fork and a knife and, and fit at that table. Whereas at Porchlight, we just pull up a chair. You know, so we might have six people sitting at a table that really accommodates three, but they're just happy about that. And it's a party and it's great and it's fun. And, you know, everyone's everyone's good. So the rules are a lot less at a bar. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Which is cool. Yeah, there's a lot more flexibility. It's yep. it's fun. Um, and you guys completely nailed that. I absolutely love it. What are now what are some of the more popular drinks? What are what are have there been any runaway surprises? Yeah, I'd say one of the runaway surprises has been that um uh we have this great vodka drink called uh, Stay All Night, which is basically kind of like your best Arnold Palmer that has um you know, that has alcohol in it. And I never, you know, doing an interview, I never would have thought I'd lead with it with a uh, with a vodka drink. But it's it's by far our most popular drink. And it's it's not the one that's written about the most, but it's, it's the sort of thing that people they can have. It's not so boozy that, you know, they get knocked out after one. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that's called stay all night for a reason. It's the sort of thing where you can have three and and, you know, not fall off your chair. Um so that that's been pretty cool. Um, you know, early on, um, you know, things like uh, we have something called the Flag Day, which is basically our take on a Manhattan, um, which is really really popular. And that's you know that's made with Rittenhouse rye and 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 uh, you know we make a bunch of syrups for it and things like that. And and that's I was blown away by how many young people are drinking. You know, just like pure booze i mean it's awesome i mean it's so great and it's a beautiful drink um and it's really well balanced but i'm just really psyched that that how many you know people are just drinking these gorgeous drinks yeah and and this neighborhood uh how how did you guys ever find i mean i realize it's pretty close to the hudson yards project which uh, right well we actually have a business in the building um called union square events which is our catering and events um business and and um, i'm actually a partner in that business and so uh over many years i've had a lot of meetings and and reason to to go into that building and so starting in 2010 i went there on an almost daily basis and i was like hmm this is a pretty cool building and got to know the landlord and and got to learn about what's going on you know with the seven train eventually apparently the seven train will stop right near porch light um and and it was just really, it, we felt that the time was right. Um, and so we, we're just really excited. I think we're pretty psyched right now because we're the only game in town in, in, in some ways. Um, but I think even as the supply grows, the demand will grow, yeah. uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, there's, uh, you kind of are. I mean, we were doing our staff training yesterday for, for Alto Linea, for the new restaurant, and we had... Uh, uh, one of uh, one of our servers asked a suggestion. You know, we have to close early on weeknights. Do you have anywhere that you could recommend that we could send our guests after? And I love I love when uh, when you have questions like that, where you know, uh, where the team's thinking about 
like we're gonna have to tell them no we can't serve them but like how can we make mm. that softer and better and, and nicer for them that's smart yeah and, and you get like, the points for that i mean that's like oh our server recommended this great place you know yes. that's pretty cool exactly and uh and i was like portside i mean is there where else is there a drinking bar where you can get something just mm-hmm. great and fun and yeah. you know um anyway I'm, I'm i'm excited to be a neighbor of yours likewise um not to make any any news on this, but uh, we know that uh, Union Square Cafe is going to be um, closing shortly. Is it the yeah. end of the year? Yeah, uh, the last day is December thirty first. Wow! So um, we, you know, we're not using the term closing, even though it is closing. Um, we are uh, relocating, um, and we're not. Uh, we don't have a space just yet, but uh, we are looking forward to kind of having that reborn as a, a Union Square Cafe. Another Union Square Cafe. Okay. You hear that? Any real estate moguls? <laughs> if you want an iconic uh, iconic New York restaurant in your space at under market rent. <laughs> That's right. Like give, give Union Square Cafe a call. Uh, anyway, Mark, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Likewise. Uh, and yeah, you're going to get sick of me this summer, I'm sure. <laughs> no, likewise. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely frequent each other's places. So thank you very much. That sounds great. Um, and as always, thanks to our producers, uh, Jory Morales and great Jack Inslee from Heritage Radio Network. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 